Welcome to So and So, brought to you by Bernina, made to create. I'm Meg Goodman, and you're about to enjoy a casual conversation with a special member of the Sewist and Quilting community. A conversation about how they got started, what inspires them, what excites them, and their connection to this community. Our guest today is Mary Grabenstatter, owner of Needle Sharp. Now, Mary grew up in Buffalo, New York, loving any type of craft she could think of. After college at Boston College, where she studied French and film, she worked as a freelance assistant editor in documentary film for two years before beginning a job at Barnes & Noble. She worked there for 10 years, ultimately becoming manager at two of their stores in Manhattan. She started sewing in 2015 at the age of 32. And in 2017, she left her job and moved back to her hometown to start Needle Sharp, a sewing subscription service that provides monthly boxes for garment sewists. She says that with many ups and downs, the past five years have been the hardest and the most rewarding of her life. Hi, Mary, and welcome to Sew and Sew. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, we're glad you, you're you joining us today. We've got some really fun stuff to, to talk about. And um, I want to find out about this arts and crafts things that, that you were into when, when you were a child. You said that, that you loved anything like that. What were what were some of these and why were they so important to you? Uh, yeah, I, my mom was always very like hands-on and she sewed and knits and uh, I think she crocheted. I'm not sure. But mm-hmm. when we were little, um, my sister and I basically did like every arts and crafts toy or kit that they had at the at the toy store. Um, I remember like one of my first memories is doing an origami birthday party for my sister and being very mm. sad at four years old that I couldn't make a dog uh, because I just didn't have the like the ability as a four year old. Sure. Um, so ever since then, it's been a a journey of trying to master the craft that I couldn't do. What were some of your favorite arts and crafts? Um, I really enjoyed doing quilling. I spent an entire year making quilled snowflakes and flowers and everything. Oh, sure. uh-huh. um, we did beading, a lot of Sculpey friendship bracelets. I have, I probably still have a bunch of lanyard. Uh, we call it boondoggle in Buffalo, but I don't think anybody else does. I've never heard that before. Huh. <laughs> yeah, I got to college and they're like, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> um, so lanyard uh, made a whole bunch of those. I probably still do that. Um, and yeah, there are probably others that I'm forgetting. Um, origami, I still do. I can make a bunch of things from heart by memory. I can still make an elephant from memory. Oh, wow. That's impressive. I, I don't know a lot of people who can, and it's it's such intricate work, uh, which probably has played well into your sewing, which we're going to talk about in a minute. Um, but first, I want to talk about your years in college. You studied French and film uh, and then had a very successful career at Barnes & Noble. Um, talk to us about this time in your life. Why French and film? How did you get into to Barnes & Noble? Take us through this this period in your life. Uh, French is really easy to answer. I started learning French when I was five. Um, it was a school that like started you in kindergarten. So I've always just loved the language. And I've had a, an affinity for all languages. Um, my mom was an English teacher. So lots of word games as a mm-hmm. kid. Um, so French, I knew going into college that I wanted to do French and I wanted to study abroad. 
uh, film came a little bit differently. I originally went to college with a chemistry major. And in freshman year, very quickly realized that I did not like being in a lab. And that's what chemistry people did. Mm-hmm. So I switched to um, a film minor because I was making a lot of little trailers on my computer. Um, I had a new Mac in 2002 that had iMovie on it. And it was like a, a new window opening. Um, and then quickly fell in love with film studies and became a film major and realized that I love film editing, uh, which is, you know, very much a puzzle of putting the movie together. And I like the software and I just like having, you know, all these little pieces to create something new. So uh, after college, I went to New York City to pursue film editing. And uh, I started in freelance. Uh, it was unpaid internships, which you could still get away with at that time. Mm-hmm. And did some set work, some production office work, and then finally uh, a bunch of documentary film editing, uh, which I absolutely loved. But it came; it was freelance, and it came around the time of the 2008 financial crisis, and freelance projects died dried up. Like mm-hmm. I just could not find a job. So that's when I went to work at Barnes Noble to at least get a paycheck. And uh, I, I ended up really liking, I hated being a cashier. There's something terrible about being a cashier at Barnes and Noble. But once I got into the book floor and got to, you know, do customer service and help go through the books and create displays, I really, really loved it and spent the next 10 years kind of moving up the ranks there. Well, you you managed two stores in Manhattan, which is no small feat. I mean, it's it's remarkable, and um, you absolutely did move up the ladders. Um, managing stores in Manhattan, uh, what's what's that like? Is it a unique experience, or is it like stores anywhere in the country? Uh, it's definitely unique. Uh, I was part of a management team, so I wasn't there by myself. But it's New York City. You'll get just a full spectrum of customers. I worked at I worked at both the largest store in the city and the smallest store in the city. The smallest one was probably the closest you get to like a suburban experience. There was a neighborhood that came in every day. Uh, it was very kid oriented. So you got mm-hmm. to know your customers a little bit better. Uh, the larger ones, you got more like customer service headaches, but you also got like the wild events. Um, I remember there was a huge Hunger Games event when I was at Union Square and it shut down the entire store. So it was it was quite the spectrum and it was a lot of fun and definitely an amazing training ground in retail. I can no, I I've got to know how how did it shut down the store? What happened? Well, it was a surprise event where um, it was the first Hunger Games movie coming out and Jennifer Lawrence and Josh Hutchinson, that's his name, uh, were coming to the store. So people started lining up. I think the event was on a Tuesday and people were lining up at 9 p.m. the Monday night before when I closed. Oh my. And they came, they waited all day and you had to come in and they shut down the whole first floor so no other customers could come in so they could go and meet Jennifer Lawrence. Um, before she was a huge star, she hadn't won an Oscar by then. But Hunger Games is a huge thing. Absolutely, and and now you were not sewing at this point. It really wasn't until you were thirty two that you took up sewing. <laughs> it's true. I back um, in about two thousand nine, two thousand ten, I taught myself to crochet, mm-hmm. 
And I had a very small Etsy business. Etsy was just starting. And I sold uh, crochet amigurumi, like little toys, mostly because I didn't want to fill my house with crochet toys that I was making. I wanted to get them out so I didn't look like a crazy person. <laughs> you know, that's ambitious to, to get all that out and, and running an Etsy business on top of everything else. But then at 32, you did take up sewing. So, so tell us how this came about and what was the connection to your mom through all of this? So when I was uh, about that era, I was following a lot of uh, internet blogs. I was following the kitchen because I love to cook and the apartment therapy, which was their like offshoot. And at some point they had a blog post about, you know, 10 sewing projects you can make in a weekend. And I was looking through and, you know, I knew that I couldn't make them by myself, but I found a dress that I really, really loved. Um, and I was heading back to Buffalo, uh, to visit my mom in about a week and I, or yeah, a couple weeks and I had a wedding coming up that July. So I called my mom and I was like, okay, so I want you to teach me how to sew this dress. And we downloaded the pattern. I had no idea what the instructions were telling me to do. So I had my mom look through them. And when we got back to Buffalo, I was home, I think for three or four days. We went to Joanne's, got a bunch of fabric. Uh, I picked out the wrong fabric. My mom said, that's too heavy. You have to pick something else. Um, and we started sewing this dress. It was on an old sewing machine. It was on a Kenmore uh, sewing machine from the 60s that my mom had used to make her stuff in the 70s. And so it had, I think, a straight stitch and a zigzag stitch and no warning that the zipper or the Presser foot was not down, so I screwed up a whole bunch of doing <laughs> wonky stitches because the presser foot wasn't down. And I cried a bunch and shoved the sewing at my mom and said, you take it out. Um, <laughs> but eventually, I got this really lovely dress that I wore to the wedding, and nobody could believe that I made this. Mm -hmm. um, I still can't believe I did an invisible zipper on, with no invisible zipper foot on my very first project. I'm still impressed by that. That is impressive. And um, do you still have that dress? I do. I wore it last year. It's, it's much tighter now, um, mm -hmm. it being several years later, uh, but it still mostly fits as long as someone else can zip me into it. So, so there was sewing in your household when you grew up. It just wasn't one of the, the hobbies or crafts that uh, you initially took to. It was. Uh, I, I used to play around and just like, sew straight stitches on scrap fabric, but I never actually made anything. My mom made all her clothes in the 70s and she made all our Halloween costumes growing up. Um, but I never actually did the sewing myself. Mm -hmm. um, but I knew that my mom, my mom was a teacher, as I said, so she was going to be able to teach me to sew. Mm -hmm. um, the other part of it was my mom had been diagnosed with cancer. So I wanted something to share with her. Well, now, now let's let's talk about this a little bit. Um, you had a total life overhaul uh, to start a new business. And in two very short years, you quit your job, moved back to Buffalo and started Needle Sharp um, incredibly fast. How did all this happen? Um, it all happened sort of at once. So I had fallen in love with sewing and I was spending absolutely all my time uh, looking at patterns and following sewing blogs because it was 2015. So it was the heyday of like the really big sewing blogs. Um, and then my boyfriend at the time got into grad school. So he was going to leave New York City. And that meant that I was going to have to get a new apartment. 
And I knew that on a Barnes & Noble salary, I wasn't going to be able to find an apartment that really, you know, was was what I wanted. And with my mom being sick, I decided to move back to Buffalo. And if I was going to move back to Buffalo, I was it was a time that I could make some major life changes. So I thought, there's that whole thought experiment of, you know, if you had an unlimited resource, what would you do? And my answer usually was open a craft store. I always kind of imagined being like the purveyor of this like cozy little craft store. Um, and having lived in New York City, I knew that I didn't have the savings or the startup capital to open a brick and mortar. So I was like, okay, I'll do an online store. And I wanted something that would distinguish me from other online craft stores because I wanted to, you know, at least have my own, um, my own spin on things. And that's when I came up with the subscription box model. Mm-hmm. Um, I was doing Blue Apron at the time, even though I was a very good cook. And I just liked having everything prepared for me. And I thought, well, maybe in the, in the sewing industry or in the sewing, home sewing part, uh, people would like everything prepared for them and then they can make a project. So that was Needle Sharp. How did you come up with a name for your business? Uh, very quickly and somewhat naively. Um, I, I wanted something like clever because I'm, I'm very witty. I may be too dry a wit, uh, but I was like, uh, sharp as a needle, needle sharp. Perfect. That's the perfect name. And then um, after I opened my business, I realized that it's also the term for hypodermic needles in the medical industry. Mm-hmm. So it took me quite a bit of time to overcome the SEO of you type in needle sharp and you get syringes. But um, so in hindsight, I probably would have named it something else, but I'm still happy with the name. I think it's clever. Well, we're, we're going to talk a little bit about your, your business in a few minutes. I, I want to go back to this, this huge change that you made in your life. And I'm going to quote you here. You said, upending my life to start a new business was incredibly hard. But in hindsight, I realized the blind courage it took to do so. I'm trying to hold on to that bravery as I forge ahead into the future. So tell us how you found that courage and what you do to continue to hold on to it. Again, it was uh, quite naive on my part. I thought like, you know, I have retail experience. I can, you know, I I came up with this idea. I thought it was a good idea. Other people told me it was good. And I had the, if you build it, they will come sort of uh, mentality. Um, so I just was like, well, this is what we do next. I I walked into it very quickly, um, just following my gut, and then realized that you know there is so so much work to starting a business, um, especially in the internet age. Because if you build it on the internet, it may be crickets because there's so much on the internet. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was a, a huge learning curve of trying to figure out how to get seen and how to do marketing. I'm still struggling with marketing, but it's been very rewarding as well because you know you're doing it all yourself and every win is your win and it's something that you know other people are afraid to do and you know you're doing it that's what i try to tell myself at least so what what were you able to do to um to stand out on the internet what are, are some of the things that that you feel really worked for you <laughs> i'm still working on that um when i first launched i i sent boxes to several bloggers and got some some credit with that and just it was I'm not sure there was one big thing that kind of knocked it out of the park but slowly just 
putting one foot in front of the other, trying to build word of mouth, trying to build on Instagram. Um, you know, I got the opportunity to be in a couple magazines, which I think helped. Um, but I'm not sure that I could say like, well, this thing really turned it around. It's just slowly moving forward inch by inch. Now you're the only sewing subscription service uh, that lets people fully customize their wardrobe, uh, which is very unique. So can you tell us a little bit about your process, choosing themes, fabrics, et cetera? Uh, it's, it's probably my favorite part of the whole thing. Um, I really liked when I was at Barnes & Noble, I was in charge of making displays. And I liked going around the bookstore, picking out all the books and creating the display and watching people buy the books off of it. And that's essentially what I'm doing with the subscription boxes. Um, I'm always a pattern first person. I know people sometimes find a fabric and then they search for the pattern and pair it together. But my mind just does not work that way. So I come up with a pattern or it's a series of patterns with the boxes. And then slowly, you know, form a, a color theme with the fabrics that I find. I try to get each box each month. To kind of have a mood to it. Um, this past year, there's been like a Barbie core type theme with pinks and blues. And, you know, in the winter, you have some darker tones just because, you know, that's what winter is. Um, so it's been, it's been really fun to, you know, kind of fantasy uh, make the garments. And I don't, I don't feel the need to actually make them. I just love being part of the process of other people discovering like, oh my God, that's, exactly the fabric I wanted. I've been waiting to make this pattern and you found the perfect fabric for it. You know, it's fun to watch the other people uh, create their own things. So the the people that get your, your subscription boxes, they'll send you pictures of things and share them with you? They will. They'll uh, post on Instagram. Um, I've had a few people actually email me their pictures. Um, and I love to see it. It's always, it always, always exceeds what I think it would be in my mind. I have a good mm -hmm. imagination, but people are, you know, better than my imagination. Now, have you ever been out somewhere in, in public and run into somebody who is wearing one of your creations? I have. Um, I go, for the past few years, I've gone to Camp Workroom Social, uh, which is like a sewing retreat summer camp in the Catskills. And when I go there, like the first time I went there, I was in my class and I looked over and there was a shirt with fabric that was pretty unique. And I had put in a box and I went up to it and I was like, excuse me, is, is that needle sharp? He's like, oh my God, it is. Mm -hmm. I was like, hi, I'm, I'm Mary and introduced myself. Um, so it's been, it's been fun because I definitely can identify. I was like, yep, that's one of my projects. That's that's pretty special. Mary, you've said that the past five years have been the most challenging and rewarding years in your life. Why is that? Um, well, they have been a wild five years. Um, I read about halfway through that, about two years into it, that the most stressful things you can do in your life are have the loss of a loved one, the end of a relationship, and moving. Mm -hmm. And I did all three in six months. That's a trifecta. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Plus, I think job loss is number four, which I didn't lose my job, but I definitely changed careers. So it, it was very, very hard there for the first few years. Mm -hmm. um, but having the business was just, it was an anchor that kept me going. And it's been great to watch it grow and kind of turn into the thing that I wanted it to be. So. 
You know, it's it's remarkable the the courage that you have, and I love this this next quote um, that you've said. Every day, I feel like I'm learning and improving as a sewist, and I want to help people out there in the world the way my mom helped me. Um, how did your mom help you, and and how do you share this with others? So, as I said, my mom was a teacher, and mm-hmm. she taught me to sew, but she taught me like basically how to live. Um, so, if I can translate helping people make projects and sparking joy with their sewing. I'm kind of passing on my mom's legacy, which has really helped me mm-hmm. um, kind of honor her and keep going. Mm-hmm. And I find it incredibly fulfilling to to keep that legacy going. Can you share any stories of, of people that you have taught or, or been part of your community, um, maybe personal stories that have helped them where you kind of reached deep and, and shared this, and then they came back and said, wow, you really made a difference in my life. Um, I'm not sure I have any stories like that. I actually, I realized my mom was a teacher, as I keep saying, my mom was a teacher, and she always thought I would be a good teacher. And I mm-hmm. always told her, I will not be a good teacher because I just don't have the passion for it. And I've tried mm-hmm. doing a few sewing classes. Um, I have a friend in Buffalo who runs uh, a sewing lab for teenage girls. And she finds it incredibly rewarding. And I just, I don't like the teaching part. I love, I want to give you the things. I want to give you the project. And I'll answer your questions if you have them. But like walking you through step by step is not the way my brain works. Um, but I do, again, going back to camp workroom social, I do have people tell me that they, you know, they made this, uh, this one woman made an absolutely gorgeous trench coat out of one of the boxes. And she's like, this is the best thing I've made. You know, I'm so proud of this project and thank you for putting it together. Um, so I think that's where I get the, the rewarding part from. So you're a big cheerleader and maybe not a teacher, but a heck of a cheerleader for people. Um, Mary, for, for sewists who want to try something like this, um, they may be new or just not as accomplished as they want to be. Um, what, what words of advice do you have for somebody like that? I think just having a beginner's mind is the best thing. Um, I remember I looked back at the projects that I made when I first started to sew. And they are absolutely not the project you should pick. You know, you're supposed to start with a pillowcase or mm-hmm. uh, a, a skirt or something like that. I did start with a skirt. That was my very first solo project. But after that, I picked uh, a fitted blouse and then a pair of shorts. I just went in absolutely wrong order. And some of them turned out and some of them didn't. And some of them I still wear today. And just having, just being open to trying new things and figuring out what you find easy and what you find difficult um, is really what I would tell people. Like I find inserting a zipper really easy. I've never been afraid of it, probably because I learned on an old machine. And I know people who have been sewing for years and avoid zippers because they're afraid of them. So it's, you know, it's finding what you enjoy making and kind of building on top of that. Mary, what's next for you? What's your dream? Um, I just want to keep growing. Uh, I want the business to keep thriving and expanding. Um, Every once in a while, I have the dream of opening a brick and mortar and having some sort of community sewing space in Buffalo, though that seems very much down the line and maybe 
it'll stay as a dream. We'll see. Um, but I just like being able to put these boxes together every month and I'd love to see more of them on Instagram and out in the world and just keep doing what I'm doing because I really love it. So, so you said um, earlier in our conversation, you, you start with a, a pattern and then you choose the fabric. Have you ever considered designing your own fabric? Um, I haven't considered fabric. I have considered uh, doing pattern making because I do, I've, I've taken a few classes on it and I sometimes self-draft for myself. And a lot of the reason that I started to sew is because I couldn't find the thing I had in my head. You know, I couldn't find a ready to wear top that looked like what I wanted to wear. Mm-hmm. And pattern making seems to be the best avenue for that where I can, um, you know, imagine the garments and build it from scratch. Um, it's it's very daunting to think about because there are so many indie pattern makers now. It seems like another very noisy area to go into. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, eventually, like maybe one day down the line, I would be able to do patterns with my boxes as exclusive kits. You know, you they would be my own patterns paired with fabric. You know, with with all you've done, I'm I'm kind of thinking in the future we're going to see patterns that you've designed. I I think that's that's down the road. Okay, now my last question. We've talked about a lot of things today. Is there anything, Mary, I didn't ask that you wish I had? Um, I joked when we were talking before recording that I knew this question was coming, <laughs> um, and it's nothing that you uh, didn't ask, but there was something that I thought would be maybe good to share. Mm-hmm. Um, shortly after I opened my business and after my mom passed, I read a book about air and it, it's a, the science of the atmosphere and it's a very nerdy book, but it's called Caesar's Last Breath. And the name comes from the idea that there are like seven septillion molecules in the atmosphere that don't get created or destroyed. And every time you breathe in, you breathe in some you know quadrillion molecules as well. So every breath you take contains a molecule of the breath of every person on earth. So you breathe in Caesar's last breath every time you breathe, or you Mm. breathe in Lincoln's last breath, or your grandmother's last breath. Um, And so when I'm feeling stressed out, or like I need to be brave, I take a deep breath that contains my mom. That's a beautiful thing, Mary. There's so much strength in that. And um, others will breathe your air and get get strength from that as well. And that book is called Caesar's Last Breath. Yes, by Sam Keen, K-E-A-N. That's something I'm sure those listening to us today would uh, would want to know about. Um, Mary, this has just been a beautiful conversation, and I'm deeply grateful to you for, for sharing your story and talking about your mom and, and sharing your courage with us today. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Now, I know um, people listening are going to want to reach out to you. So what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, well, there's through my website. There's a contact us page that's uh, needle-sharp.com. Um, also on a bunch of social medias, Instagram and Facebook mostly, at, at needle-sharp-ny. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mary, thank you again. Thank you so much. 
Well, there you have it. Another story about someone just like you, someone for whom sewing is so much more than a hobby. It's a way of life and a connection to something much bigger. If you know someone you think has an outstanding story, a story that should be shared on this podcast, please drop me a note to meg at soandsopodcast.com or just complete the form on our website. Be sure to subscribe to, review, and rate this podcast on your favorite platform and visit our website, soandsopodcast.com, for more information about today's and all of our guests. That's S-E-W-A-N-D-S-O-podcast.com. And finally, I want to thank Bernina for making this program possible. I'm Meg Goodman, and I look forward to you joining us next time on So-and-So. So-and-so.